The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. We are in Mark chapter 6, verse 30 today, and uh, if Jesus matters more than football, you should say aye and amen, because Mark chapter 6 is coming right off the tail end of last week's story where we saw a recap of John the Baptist being killed. John the Baptist was following Jesus faithfully, and he was beheaded because of it, and now there's this question probably lingering in the minds of people. If John followed Jesus and Jesus was killed, how powerful is this Jesus? How powerful is his kingdom, and what does it mean to follow him? Now, in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, if you're flipping there, hopefully scrolling there, letting the glow of God's word shine upon your chin, this is one of the few stories found in all four Gospels. It is actually the only miracle other than the resurrection of Jesus that appears in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four accounts in the New Testament that talk about the life and work of Jesus. And this is, other than the resurrection, the only miracle that appears in all four. So that should tell us something. It's not that because it's said more times makes it more true, but God wanted us to read it more times. That's why he put it in all four of those accounts. Are you guys ready to read this thing, get to God's Word, change our lives forever? Okay, we're going to pray and jump in. Father, this is a story about hungry people being fed by you. This is a story about a young boy who gives up his provision to see many provided for. This is a story about doubting disciples. This is a story about your power and provision. This is a story about how much you care for us. But God, in the midst of this all, is a story about true bread and true life and true rest. So speak to us this morning. Help us to understand this passage. Help us to be shaped and look more like Jesus when we walk out of these doors to go be the church this week. Help us to love others well because of this passage changing our lives and mindsets this week. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. Mark 6, 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He had sent them out. They had preached and now they were coming back. They had done miracles and prayed for people. And they were saying, Jesus, look at what we've done. Look at what we've taught. And he said to them, okay, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to even eat. If you've ever needed rest in your life, say, please, yes. Uh-huh. You want to know what's interesting about chapel? I give out homework assignments to you guys from time to time. And people generally don't like homework assignments because we got programmed in school to not like homework. So the only homework assignments that I've ever given out that people like are when I say, okay, spouses, I want you to go home and I want you to make love to each other because it's in the Bible. And the husbands are like, that's a message I can get behind. Hallelujah. Yes, I'm in. I give you other homework assignments. You're like, eh, that one's okay. This, this one of rest, I've never received as many texts and emails and pushback as I did when I said, here's your homework assignment. I want you just to take a day off. Now, some of you think, well, let me put it another way. You guys know the Big Ten, right? Ten Commandments. Do not fill in something. Murder, right? Do not steal. And you're good. If I tell Don Austin, hey, Don, don't murder anybody. He'll be like, you got it, Pastor. Don, don't steal. You got it. If I told some of you, and this week, take a day off, you'd be like, oh. A day off, yes, no phone, no email, no nothing, no work, don't even think about work. You take a day to unplug. When I gave out that homework assignment, when I said, if, you, if you're parents, I want you to keep your phones at home. 
abandon your children to a babysitter and go to the beach and lay there and do nothing. People were saying, I can't do this homework assignment. You don't understand how hard it is to take a whole day off. Like, I need to, to be working. Could you imagine if you substituted another sin for that? Pastor, you don't understand. I need to murder someone this week. You don't know my situation. I'm going to go murder someone. I'm going I'm to rob the bank after that. If we said that to each other in common, or if we were just being casual about it, like we're casual about not taking a Sabbath. No, I don't need to rest. You know, I got to work too busy, too busy, too busy. That's the mantra in our culture. We say too busy to equal that we are valuable to someone else. We say that we're addicted to it. But imagine if you were just casually like, yeah, you know, I went to work, dude. I didn't like my boss, so I killed him. It was cool. Then we went to lunch afterward, had a great bowl of fun. We don't do it. Jesus recognizes the power of rest because he is the creator. He created humans to rest. He created rest for humans so that we could one day say, I trust you, God, to provide for my seven days all of the work that I've done in the six, and I believe that you will carry me through. Taking a Sabbath is a moment of faith, but Sabbath was created for the man. It's for us to rest. So they went away in a boat, verse 32, to a desolate place by themselves because Jesus said, we need to rest. But here's something amazing happened. Many saw them going, and they recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns to get there ahead of him. I've tried to chase boats from land. It is not easy. These people were following Jesus. Thousands of people, thousands upon thousands. They said, we want what Jesus has. We've seen him healing the blind. We've seen him taking people who can't walk and re-strengthening their legs. We've seen Jesus preaching to all these people that the world says aren't worth anything. Jesus says, I see them and they're worth many things. We want a piece of that. So they followed Jesus. They looked at his boat and they were running on land to catch up to him. Verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. He just oozes compassion. Love is what Jesus is. He sees people in need, and he wants to minister to them. The disciples were already tired. They were already needing of rest. They already needed some food. But Jesus said, there's, there's a crowd, and they need somebody to lead them, to love them, to protect them, to provide for them. And it said, it, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. Let me translate what the Greek says there. When it grew late, the disciples came to him and said, Lord, there is no Chick-fil-A here. And the hour is late. Send them away into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. And here's the thing. We read these stories. We know these stories because they, they're from Sunday school up. Like, I know this story. It's in all four Gospels. What's not in this Gospel is where they get the bread from in a minute. But you have to think about hunger, like deep hunger, like hunger that's ripping your stomach apart so much that you would even eat the most like gnarly things. Like if you're just dying of hunger and someone said, you need some food, you say, I'll do anything for food. And they say, here's some kale. And you say, yes, that's how you know you're hungry. The disciples says that it grew late. Could you, Jesus started teaching them and it grew late means it was coming to the end of the day, to the time for the evening meal. Can you imagine a church service that went on that long? Now, some of you can because there are, there are branches or tribes, whatever you call them in churches, like in a, in a suburban, non-denominational church, you've got to be like three to four songs, sermon, and a prayer, and you're out. 
But there are some churches that just go, and I've been, they're so much fun. If you've never been to like one of our, uh, like the Latin-oriented churches or some of the black churches, they go not for an hour, not for two hours, three, four, five hours, and it's, it's exhilarating. They'll sing a song, they'll keep the organist up there as the preacher's going, and the guy will just storm across. We'll do an offering, I'll count it while we're talking, not enough, offer again. I mean, I wish we could do some of these things, it'd be so good, like just count it straight up. We'd imagine, imagine if church went from like middle of the day till dinner time. You guys would, when I got, when I interviewed for this job, you have to preach. So they bring you up and they, they, they say, okay, here's, here's your time. You're going to go up and preach. And I stood right here on the stage and I got up and I preached for 30 to 35 minutes. Just got down unanimously. They voted. They said, we want this guy as our pastor. I'll bet you the vote would have gone differently if I stood up here for six hours. If I was like, hey, your pastors are notorious for this. If you've been, if you grew up in the church, you know this phrase that pastors say. We go through our three points in our application and our prayer, but right before the end we go, and one more thing. What does that mean? And 20 more minutes. And another thing, because we're up here and the Lord's speaking. We just got ideas. Jesus spoke all the way until his disciples got so hungry. And I need you to, to feel the reality of these stories because we, we detach the Bible from life. So hungry you're approaching Jesus mid-sermon means that you're having one of those stomach growls that's so loud you're embarrassed and so loud that you don't move because you think, if I just look forward, maybe they'll think it was the person next to me. Or you look at somebody with like, what was that? Like your stomach goes, ah, and you're like, whoa, you. And then your wife hits you. Because, never mind. This is, Jesus, we got to send these people away. There's no Chick-fil-A. He says to them, this is brilliant. You give them something to eat. Now, in the other accounts, if you read them, there's one account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is from Mark. The disciples are going up. They're saying, Jesus, um, the people are hungry. Like, we came in the boat to get away to get some food because we were already hungry. So we're really hungry. And there's, there's over 5,000 people. It says 5,000 men at the end of this passage, but that's only counting the men. That's how they counted families. There were 5,000 families. So there's 10, 15, 20,000 people just there. I've seen churches. The best church in the world can't even do a potluck right. Like, I've been to so many church potlucks where you go there, and there's like one lasagna, 23 salads, and two liters of sweet tea. That's it. And you go to some potlucks, I went to one potluck, literally, whoever organized it forgot to do entrees. So it was a potluck of sides, desserts, and drinks. Now, I'm not complaining, I was young at the time, but now as a grown-up, I need my food groups, the pyramid thing, you know? But the disciples, they got that stomach growl, and they say, Jesus, um, these people are hungry. You've been talking for like six hours, so uh, maybe send them away. And Jesus, I just love it. Y you feed them. You, you feed them. You Andrew going back with Peter. Uh, so he said that we're supposed to feed him. Uh, so, Lord, we did some math, and we're not really math people, but we think it's like 200 days wages or something. And Jesus says, well, go tell me how much bread you got. Andrew goes back to Peter. So, Peter, um, I told him how much money it was. He didn't care. He said, how much bread do we got? You got some bread, Peter? Peter's like, I don't got bread. Andrew, I don't got bread. Judas, you got bread. Judas probably ate the bread. And there's a little boy 
Not in this account, but in the other accounts. It says, I got, I got food. Five biscuits and two fish. Sorry, that's Long John Silver's. I don't know. Five breads and two fish. It's just, a, it's like a to-go bag. I've seen some of you eat more than that in one meal. And this kid says, you could have it. But the disciples, you know, they were hungry, so they went back up to Jesus. They said, Jesus, we found a kid. We stole his G.I. Joe lunchbox. He gave it to us. I mean, we took it. And, um, and we got, uh, Peter, how much do we get? And Peter's over there with crumbs in his thing. We got two fish and four and a half biscuits. It, I made that up. It's five biscuits. He didn't eat a bite, but I bet you Peter probably did in real life. And Jesus said, let me have it. He commanded them, verse 39, commanded them to sit in groups in the grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves, five loaves, how many loaves? Five loaves. How many fish? Two fish. Okay. He looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Whatever this is, I want this. Like the water to wine trick, cool. The multiplying fish and chips, this is it. This is holiness. He, he took it and he said blessing and he broke the loaves and he gave it to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. That's not, in, the, in their culture, they counted men to represent families. I need you to understand, we don't know what the crowds knew, what the 10, 15,000 people knew. But we do know one thing. There is a kid who just had his Long John Silver breakfast jacked. There was a group of disciples who were doubting Jesus. Well, Jesus, we don't have this much money. Well, how much bread? Five loaves, two fish. Five loaves, two fish. You got it? Okay, here you go. Take it. And then Jesus says a prayer. And he says he broke the bread and gave it to the disciples. I am not good at math. I went to college a bunch. I took the bottom line math to get out of college because I'm a word guy. But I'm pretty sure five loaves of bread is not feeding more than my family. Like, you don't understand. Uh, my family loves their food. Savannah, if this bread is shaped anything like a Krispy Kreme donut, I would have gotten none of it. My mother-in-law buys my kids Krispy Kreme donuts. Yesterday, um, Savannah said, Daddy, can I have a Krispy Kreme donut? She already had it in her hand. And, I, and she hadn't eaten dinner yet. So like a good parent, I said, sweetie, you cannot have a Krispy Kreme donut. In the amount of time it took me to say that sentence, she got an entire Krispy Kreme donut in her five-year-old mouth. In the, you cannot have a... I didn't know whether to be impressed or disappointed. And I wanted to remind her that one of the big ten is do not murder. I mean, obey your father, honor your father, Whatever. Five loaves, two fish. Now, I'm sure the masses were impressed. They, they were there because Jesus is teaching these amazing things. We don't know that he was healing. It says he was teaching. And they stayed for hours upon hours upon hours. And, and that's a lot of people. 10,000, 15,000. They don't know what's going on up here. You know, you know who I think this is for? The doubting disciples. But even more than that, imagine being the boy. You're there. And you're thinking, this is all I have. And it's not like us. He didn't have a checking account to go back to. He had to go back to his family or maybe he himself baked bread and caught fish. And he said, this is all I have. And that boy 
was there, close enough to see, close enough to say, Jesus, I hear what your predicament is. The disciple said, it's going to take a fortune. And this kid says, I got a meal deal. And Jesus used it. Now, I can't wait. I mean, I, I hope, I hope that there's a kingdom DVR when I get to be with Jesus in the afterlife. Because there's so many moments I want to replay. Like this one, where Jesus prays for five loaves, two fish, and he breaks them and hands them out. Five pieces of bread, breaks them and gives them to 12 people. I don't know how that works. I don't know if it was, you take one round, as a round flatbread, you rip it in half and hand it to Peter, and you look back and it's there again. Not only that, I'm a fisherman. I know fish. I don't know how you break a fish. I don't know if he's up there and he's got two perch fish about this big and he does one of those magic moves like one fish, two fish. And he hands them out, three fish. See, I can't even count. Three fish. I don't know how he did it, but what we do know is that everyone ate, everyone was satisfied, and there's this little kid in the corner like, those were my magic fish. You know that kid went back to the fishing hole. It's like, I'm going to get me some more of those. You know whoever baked that bread? It's like, I baked that bread. Jesus wanted to show the doubting disciples, hey, there's a bread of life that I can make more abundant than you know. And I don't think it was broken on accident. I think it was broken on purpose because he broke the bread to share fellowship with them and to feed them and satisfy them all. He broke the bread to give them what they needed for that temporary moment, that temporary life. But he is the ultimate true bread who would be broken for our eternal life. I love thinking about what the disciples must have been pondering in this moment because it says they came back with 12 baskets full of bread and fish. They left with a doggy bag. They started with a, a kid's lunch, and they came back with 12 baskets full. 12, how many disciples were there? Starts with a, t ends with 12. Okay, you guys got it. Now, we often think of Jesus as very um, somber because of the way that he's portrayed in Jesus films. You know what I'm talking about, right? Just like white, somber, blue sash Jesus. We dehumanize Jesus. Jesus, I believe, could wink because most of us can wink, right? Even if you can't wink, you can cover an eye and blink. It looks the same. The disciples doubted that Jesus could do it. They said, you don't have enough money. All we got is this little snack. And then Jesus had this miracle unfold in and through the disciples' hands, through the sacrifice of this kid. And they all come back with a basket. This is in my brain. Now, it doesn't have to be true, but in my brain, this is where Jesus sees them all coming back from the thousands, and all 12 disciples are coming back to the front, and they're like, dude, I got a basket. You got a basket? You, and then all of a sudden, they realize, we all got a basket, and then they all look over at Jesus in my version of the movie, and Jesus goes, wink. <laughs> yeah, because you doubted me? You thought I needed money? I took a kid's lunchbox. They've already seen Jesus tell a storm to be quiet. They're going to see Jesus next week walk on water. But still, they're like, how did this happen? Well, how does it happen for you and for me? Because here's the thing I need you to understand. Some of you are just spiritually hungry. Some of you are like, I don't know what to do spiritually. How do I connect with God? How do I follow God? You could be like the crowds and just say, I'm going to follow. Wherever I see Jesus, I'm going to go. But I would commend that rather than the crowds, you'd be like the boy. You say, I'm going to get so close to Jesus, I can hear what he's saying. And when Jesus says something, I'm going to say, I don't know what, but I got this. That involves a, a regular, close relationship with Jesus. Early on in my marriage to my wife, um, 
before I figured out like habits of being a good husband, I was I was trying to, I was doing different Bible reading plans, and one of the ones I was doing was very labor intensive. And I used to just carry my Bible with me, my paper Bible, old school Bible, and I would just read it all the time. Five minutes in the car, read my Bible. Five minutes in the car, read my Bible. And one day she said, "Why do you read the Bible more than you talk to me?" And like a loving husband, I said, "Because I love Jesus way more." I mean, I didn't say it like that, but basically, and and that's not a thing to say, even if it's true. Like wives don't want to hear you say that. Like, way more, a duh. She said, back then, she said, well, you know, I wish you'd spend time with me. But I love Jesus more than I love you. Like, I really knew how to lay on the romance in those years. It was before we had kids. (laughs) Here's the thing. You have to have a tangible, practical plan to follow Jesus. You can't just say tomorrow, you know what, this is the week I follow Jesus. If that's all you say, it it won't work out. You have to say, when are you going to follow Jesus? How long are you going to follow Jesus? You Just position yourself to be near Jesus. I love my wife. She is my best friend. If I would love to be friends with most of you. However, you will never come near the friendship I have with my wife. Even the people in here who I'm close to, it doesn't matter. They call me, hey, you want to hang out? My wife's next to me. Nope. Boop. Bye. Bye. Why not? My wife. Well, you always have your wife. Yeah, you have yours. Go. Because I love my wife. If I, if I love something else, I put a ring on something else. I love my wife, so I put a ring on it. Because I said, you're my best friend. I want to be with you forever. And we hang out all the time. People call me a homebody, an introverted person, because I like being at home. I just like my wife better than I like you. I love Jesus more than I like her. I've learned ways to say it more tenderly, but I'll follow Jesus no matter what. If Jesus is going this way, my wife says, I want to go that way. I'm going where Jesus is. I've got my ranking, my orders of things. It's Jesus, my wife, is with me. We're a team. Then my kids are under that. My kids are not equal with my wife. It's not, it's not God family. It's God wife. Because my kids, they're going to leave me someday. And I tell them all the time, when they mouth off to my wife, I say, you don't talk to my wife that way. I don't say don't talk to your mother that way. So you don't talk to my wife because I want to separate. I want to show them when you're 18, I'm kicking you out. You, because you sons, you're going to go get married and some daughters are going to steal you away. Daughters-in-law, they're going to steal you away from me. My daughters, they're, they're going to be nuns in a convent. So that's okay. But they're also going out and I'm going to be left with my wife. I, I see so many people pouring time into not God and not their spouse because we've taken focus on the family as a ministry far too seriously. We focused so much on the family, they are our gods. Do you know how I know this? Because we worship at the altar of their programs. We worship at the altar of their academics. We worship at the altar of their success. I do it too. I do it too. The report cards just came out again. One of my kids got a B again, and I looked at him with my Asian half of myself and said, dude, B means below average. And they cried. I made my kid cry. I am a bad parent on that side of my genetics. And I was a terrible student. Here's the thing. You have to make a plan to love Jesus more than anything. Make it specific. Make the where. Make the what. How are you going to do it? And it won't be thrilling all the time. Following Jesus is not this thrilling rock star moment. There are moments where it's incredible and amazing. 
there are moments, uh, like one of the things that I love to, to do, I like to just go downtown from time to time, and I'll just, I'll just leave. I'm going to go pray, and I'm going to go find somebody that's hungry and feed them. And I'm, I don't just feed them like, here's money, go away. I say, hey, man, let's go grab lunch together. I want to hear your story. And I've had amazing moments where God opens things up and opportunities to pray for people and encourage people, to see people uh, find hope and freedom in Jesus again when they had run from the church for, for years and years and years. Those are amazing moments. People giving their lives to Christ. Marriages that get restored. Children that return. Amazing. That's not all that Christianity is. Sometimes Christianity is just the humdrum. Imagine the person, the 15,000th person. They're like, this is amazing teaching. I can barely hear anything. But at least I got to go back. I got my food. Like sometimes that's what Christianity is. It's, but it's positioning yourself as closely as you can to Jesus so that when Jesus says, hey, this is what we're doing. Anyone got something? And then asking, after you say, when am I going to spend time with him? How am I going to follow him? What does it look like for me? Maybe for you it's downloading the Bible app and reading it every morning before you do anything else. Maybe for you it's learning how to pray. If you don't know how to read the Bible, you can go online, chapelfh.org. There's a button that I put specifically that says how to read the Bible. You click it, boop, it gives you videos that teach you how to read the Bible because the Bible's a big book, 66 books compiled into one, written by over 40 authors over a span of 1,600 years almost. It's a big book, a lot of cultures, but we have tools to help you. Don't know how to pray? Text me. My number's on my business cards. You can say, hey, can you give me some ideas on how to pray? We've done sermons on it. We'll send you links so you can learn how to pray. But get close enough to God so that when God begins to move, you're right there. You say, I know, I got this. And then the next thing God's going to call you to do is to give something up. See, in our culture, we're addicted to holding on to things. But have you ever tried? Have you ever tried to to pick things up when you don't have fingers? You don't have fingers? I've broken this arm twice. Thankfully, I'm not left-handed. But when you have the casts that, like, bind your fingers in together, it's like, E.T., phone home, you know? Um, it, it's hard to do things. You know, your friends at school, they throw a basketball at you. Hey, it's a run, a catch! Because you've got a club on one hand and a hand on the other. And they throw it at you on your left side on purpose. And it's like, blah! That's how we do spiritually. Too many of us have closed hands. We can't. And we say, why isn't Jesus using me? It's because your hands are holding on to something else tighter than they're holding on to Jesus. The boy gave up his lunch. That was his provision. That was his security. He said, all I got is this, but take all I got. You may be thinking, I, what do I have to give up if I follow Jesus? The answer is everything. And here's the weird thing. No matter how much you give up, what you get is vastly more valuable, vastly more powerful, vastly more incredible, vastly more life-giving than anything you could give up. God is not after your 401k. God may tell you, some of you, to give it all away. But God doesn't need your money. People, anytime someone says, oh, I don't give to church because I feel like they're after your money. Fair accusation. As I shared a few weeks ago, one of my friends was writing me because he was Googling the net worth of famous pastors, right? And he said, this pastor's 40 million. But this pastor, who I really like, his net worth is only 300-something thousand. And I told him, I was like, dude, my net worth is $5.17 or whatever it was that day. So who's the best pastor now? It's not about how much money is in your bank. It's about are you giving up what Jesus is telling you to give up when he tells you to give it up? Are you close enough to hear his voice? Do you know what his voice even sounds like? Some of you say, I don't know what his voice sounds like. You want to know how God speaks to you? Through the words, through the stories. This is 
The Word of God is how God will speak to us. He can speak in other ways, but I know for sure the one way is through the words of God, which is why we encourage the Bible, love the Bible, want to be Bible-soaked and saturated. If you want to be satisfied with Jesus, like these were satisfied with bread and fish, you've got to be close enough to eat. If you, want to, if you want to find out what your purpose, what your calling is, be like the boy and just give up what you got. Some of you, you don't know what it is. We have, we have a lot of ways for you guys to learn how to give things up. You could be time. We have constantly a need for children's workers, whether you're a helper or whether you're a teacher, whatever it is, just constant. If you're like, I can't, I don't like kids, don't go back there, um, obviously. But if you're like, I really want to learn the Bible, I know some things, I know the Bible stories, I want to be a mentor to teach, man, let's teach kids, teach in adult class, teach middle school, teach high school. We'll get you connected with the network of leaders we have here. Some of you, it's food. We have this process called gleaning at the chapel. In the Old Testament, gleaning was different. It was a way to care and give food to those who were hungry. It looked like this in the Old Testament. They'd chop down the wheat or the barley, and they'd leave some of it on the ground for people to pick up so they could have food. Now, I don't know if any of you are wheat or barley farmers, but I don't think it works that way anymore. You can't just throw food on the ground. It'd be weird, right? Like, let's put gleaning in modern perspective. You drive through Chick-fil-A. Hey, I'd like a number two. Can you give me an extra fry? And they give you the extra fry. When you get it, you roll down your passenger window, throw it out the window, and just drive off. Somebody will find that fry on the ground and eat it. No. So our gleaning is this. It's super easy. You go into Publix. And you guys already spend $700 a month there anyway. So when you're in the front of the Publix line, you say, hey, I need to glean. I'm going to get a $5 gift card for Publix, $10 gift card for Publix, $20 gift card for Publix. Maybe God has given you a ton of money. Maybe you just won some big old scratcher for 500 bucks. You say, I want to give all that to Jesus so he doesn't strike me with lightning because that's not how Jesus works. You say, here, I'm going to glean. I'm going to get a gift card and I'm going to put it in this box or the baskets because Miss Lori, where are you, Miss Lori? You're over here underneath the light that's broken. Miss Lori lead the blessing bags in the back. Some of you are like, I'm new. What are blessing bags? Glad you asked. Ms. Lori puts them together. There's a recipe inside one of those bags with a gift card for perishables. It's the non-perishables with a gift card for perishables. I hope you're tracking. You, Temple family, take this when you know somebody that's going through a hard time. Maybe they're like, oh, I'm really strapped, lost my job, missed a paycheck. I was one of those people who was out of work, didn't get paid yet because I have a government job. Hey, let's bring them a blessing bag. All you have to do is tell us how many people it's feeding because we're trying to track. Because Jesus fed 5,000 plus. We want to feed 5,000 plus this year. 2019, we want to get past 5,000 people. Ideally, I'd like to go beyond that. But we're tracking the number of people we're feeding through blessing bags, through Fifth Sunday when we go down and feed the homeless, and through our efforts. Not because we want to like pat ourselves on the back, but because Jesus did it. And he said, we can do things that are amazing too. Now granted, if I had the power to go to Chick-fil-A and take one chicken sandwich and turn it into 500, I would never leave Chick-fil-A, okay? And I don't even like it that much. I know, I'm still a follower of Jesus, forgive me. But you take those blessing bags, those are for you. You don't have to ask me. You don't have to ask me, say, Pastor Ryan, can we take a blessing bag to go bless somebody? Think of how that sounds. Pastor Ryan, we would really like to love somebody. Can we go take one of these bags that you've pre-prepared for us to love people and take it out to love people? Yes. People say, well, what if people steal those blessing bags? because they just want all the food and, and the gift cards. If they're going to steal a blessing bag, they probably need it. That'd be like if someone stole the Bible. And I'm like, you return that Bible right now. No, I'd be like, you go read Exodus 20 and burn. <laughs> I 
Make a plan to follow Jesus. Stick close to him. Read the word every day. Pray every day. Be close every day. Get into a community group. As much as you can squeeze into Jesus, get into this connection with him. It's, it's, for me, it's not what I add on to my life. For me, it's I want to get as much Jesus as possible. There's some people I see all the time. I see Skip Sunday, Monday, Saturday, and then we usually go to lunch at least once every whenever he's going to pay for me. But it's more Jesus because he's going to encourage me toward Jesus. It's not, oh, do I have time for this? I can't afford to not have all the time in the world for this. I don't want to be the person that stayed at home on this day. Imagine if you were friends with the kid who had the magic lunch. And he was like, yeah, today I'm not feeling it. I'm just going to hang out and keep fishing. And the kid's like, well, I'm going to go follow Jesus. And then the kid has this amazing miracle happen with his lunch. And he goes back, dude, you wouldn't believe what happened. Remember those fish we caught? Boom! The kid's like, no, that didn't happen. I'm just going to go fish again. You know whose life was never the same? That kid with the lunch. The other kid's life is the same. Wasn't with Jesus. Wasn't following Jesus. I, by the way, that other kid I made up, totally fictional, but totally applicable to so many of us. Because this is all the Jesus we want, maybe. Press in. Make a specific plan. And ask God, Lord, what do you need me to give up for your purposes? Maybe it's just starting to glean. Maybe you're like, well, you know, I don't trust churches with my money. Good. Buy gift cards. I don't, I don't get them. You give them. They go through. They get counted. So you get your tax deduction. And then when they go to Lori, she's going to make more bags because we're low on bags, right? We're low on bags. We need more bags. How many more bags do we need? Enough to feed how many? 5,000 at least. I don't know math, you guys, but that's a lot of gleaning gift cards. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just write on my tithing check food on the bottom. Don't do that because then I won't be able to figure out what's wrong with the AC that's broken. That's why it's so hot in here today. We don't rob Peter to pay Paul or vice versa. We wanna, but we want to give. Now, if you think that a church is after your money, I tell people all the time, if you think I'm after your money, driving my Jetta with jacked up tents in my rear window, don't give it here. But I want you to give somewhere. Even if you don't, you're like, oh, I don't even want to give my Publix gift card to that box. Because what if I see you at Publix, Pastor, and you've got 50 $10 gift cards going hog wild, getting your French bread? No, fine. If you don't want me to ever see it, just hand it to Miss Lori. She's here every Sunday. But practice giving so that your hands can be open enough to grab onto Jesus. Amen? Okay. You guys, this is it. I just got one more thing. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, we uh, so often are like this, like the doubting disciples. We, we doubt that you can do something. We always try to come up with a practical plan of money and plans and programs. Lord, help us, help us to be like the boy who wasn't even in the inner circle, who wasn't even invited, but he was close enough to hear you talk. Lord, help us be like the boy who all he had is what he gave up. Help us not to fear lacking something because you, Jesus, are everything we need. God, that you would change us, that we could feed these 5,000 people and it would be in the blink of an eye. Because, Lord, there are, there are over 2,500 people that are sleeping without shelter or with temporary shelter in Tampa tonight. Lord, there are hundreds of foster kids who are in the system tonight. Father, there are tons of single moms and single dads who are struggling to make ends meet tonight. Help us to go out from here and not to turn blind eyes, but to open our eyes and look for opportunities to sacrifice, to bless, and to give in the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen.